Okay, I'll tell you. But you can't tell anyone. It happened a long time ago. Kids used to play in the woods back behind your house. They made forts and played hide-and-seek, told stories and shared secrets. It was a place that was all their own. But all that's changed now. Now we don't go into the woods. At least not alone. He looks for kids. Kids like us. They go into those woods and they never come back. He's big. Bigger than most grown-ups. And some people say they saw a hook where his hand is supposed to be. He's not like normal people. He doesn't care if you beg. He'll take you where no one will ever find you. Where no one can hear you scream. He's always hunting. Hunting for kids. And that's why we don't go in the woods. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Hope you all had a nice 4th of July weekend, because at this point it will have already been the 4th of July. <laughs> Happy 4th. Happy yeah. birthday, America. <laughs> Somehow there are no fireworks, but also fireworks are apparently everywhere, and the internet is furious. I'm furious. I'm not. No, you're not, because we don't have them. It's so weird, because the Jersey Shore is usually like fireworks mecca in the summertime, having everyone from like your neighbor with the missing pinky to the local government setting them off en masse. And yet I have noticed less fireworks this year than other years. I don't know. However, apparently New York and Los Angeles, if I am to believe what I am hearing online, are one giant sparkly dog petrifying powder keg. Oh my God. People are so <laughs> mad. I mean, I get it. I, I don't think all hours of the night I would want to hear fireworks. I do like them though. Whatever. I'm not sure what's, what gives over there, but please report back to us with any of your spooky fireworks theories, and I will only entertain spooky theories, so don't give me any of that, like, people are quarantine bored nonsense. I would like to hold ghosts and murder cults responsible for the fireworks, if at all possible. I think that plays out. Right? Doesn't that sound yeah. more interesting? Yes. Not just, like, bored people or people that want to piss off your dog. It doesn't just sound interesting. It sounds accurate. Perfect. That's the that's the line of thinking I would like. So you guys just roll with that if you could. Thank you. Here in New Jersey, we're doing okay as of right now, actually. But generally, we can't have nice things for very long without somebody ruining it. So <laughs> I'm feeling tentative at best. No matter what your quarantine situation is, you can rest assured that we will be right here with you, making sure you stay frightened of being alone while the government tells you you have to be home alone. Yes. And wear your trendiest mask. Yes! This is our calling in life. Also, as per usual, I will ask that you don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It just takes a couple seconds of your time, but it gives us 
the will to live another day. And I'm withering away. Uh, uh, we're dying. <laughs> Help us. Help. I think if I just make it more dramatic every week, maybe I'll get some results. Yeah. You know, the more pathetic we sound, the more people will feel sorry for us. Next week we're cu- we're coming live from the grave. Yes. <laughs> I'll dig it myself. Oh, man. So leave us a, a rating and review. Thank you. Uh, this week, back by popular demand, we have some more real-life urban legends for you. Yes. About a month or so ago, we did our first round of urban legends during a Friday night campfire stories live, and it was so fun. It was a really fun night. So we decided that we'd do another one and give it, like, the main podcast treatment. Um, and it probably won't be the last one. I feel like we'll revisit this again and again. Yeah, there's a lot of urban legends. So, so many. We can't cover them all in no. one sitting. Agreed. Or ten sittings. Yeah. So, you know. I'll keep and- sitting till they're covered. <laughs> so, until you guys are like, we hate this. You're done. We're going to keep going. <laughs> so, Leslie and I each have a story for you tonight. I love these kinds. Uh, I'm going to talk about Cropsy. And, Leslie, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the melon heads. Oh. I have no idea what that is. I'm jazzed to hear that. All right, well, then let's get into it. I will start. Uh, tonight I'm talking about Staten Island's legend, Cropsy. There is an excellent documentary on this whole urban legend called, fittingly, Cropsy, <laughs> uh, that you can, can and should find on Netflix. It is killer. It is so good. And the same team also has a documentary on Netflix called Killer Legends that you all should check out as well. Both are super well made and impeccably researched. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Great. Yeah. You heard it here first. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And if there's trees, then you know there's going to be a murder. Although I don't think these are like that. They're not murderous trees? Well, we're talking about the woods tonight. Oh. Both of us are, I think. We are. So Mm -hmm. trees equal murder applies. Double time. Yeah. Watch out. Mm, Netflix always has that like shot from the air of trees. (laughs) And every time I see that, I'm like, oh, someone's going to die. Yeah. You know. (laughs) So. Who or what is Cropsy, you might be wondering. First, Cropsy is a who. And second, it is the pinnacle of urban legendum. It just checks all the boxes. Willowbrook is a rather idyllic part of Staten Island. Well, from what I can tell from photos, it is. But it holds some rather dark secrets. Don't wander off. Parents would warn their children. Cropsy might get you. Stay out of the woods, older kids would warn. Cropsy lives in the woods, and he's always looking for fresh meat. Inevitably, the child would ask, who's Cropsy? And then the magic would begin. That indescribable magic that scary things have when you're a kid. It's like you're just drawn to it. You know it's going to keep you up at night. But you just like... (laughs) My my pet's water bottle just made bubbles, and it was terrifying. <laughs> sounded like it was gulping. I don't know. Maybe Cropsy's here. Maybe it Cropsy's was. here. Oh, shit. See that magic when you're afraid of something and it makes you, like, look all around over your shoulder? Um, that's, that's the magic I'm talking about. <laughs> Little <laughs> diversion, and then I'll get back to it. Netflix just released the new Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah. So good. But... <laughs> As soon as I, I watched two episodes last night, and as soon as the like the intro came on, the theme song, I was immediately transported there. I was like, oh, I'm nine, and I'm not allowed to watch this. I'm like looking over my shoulder. 
every time it's like skip intro, I'm like, fuck no, I will never skip that intro. It's the best part. Anyway, watch Unsolved Mysteries so we can talk about it. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Is that your theme tonight? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, deep in the woods, beyond the fences, lies an abandoned asylum, the older kids would say. Many years ago, it housed thousands of people. It was a terrifying place. People were chained down, forced to eat mush and endure beating after beating. They were kept naked and everything was filthy. For years, unspeakable things happened behind those walls until it became too much for some of them. A giant man with a hook for a hand escaped one day in a riot. He knocked out the guards and ran into the woods and he lives there to this day. That's Cropsy. He hunts for children. He only leaves the woods after dark. He looks for kids that are alone and maybe lost. He grabs them and runs them through with his giant hook, then drags them back to the tunnels underneath Willowbrook. The tunnels used to be used to get rid of dead bodies, and now Cropsy uses them to hide his victims. So be careful riding your bike alone and stay out of the woods. Like, always stay out of the woods, probably. Mm -hmm. So many bad things happen that we will talk about in the woods. This story has everything. Child murder, a hook hand, the woods, tunnels, an escaped mental patient with a folksy nickname, nudity, a timely lesson about the widespread mistreatment of the mentally ill in America, teens, and a gross bowl of mush. For real. Yeah, that comes back again. (laughs) And as horrific as it sounds... This story is based in a lot more truth than anybody would possibly dare to believe. You see, Willowbrook, which is an area of Staten Island, was home to the Willowbrook State School. Willowbrook State School was designed in 1938 with the intention of being mostly an inpatient facility designed to house and educate children with severe intellectual disabilities. This was a time when people believed that the institutionalization, that institutionalization, oh, that's another hard word, was the best thing to do with a disabled child. Most parents didn't have the slightest idea how to care for a child who might never learn to read, let alone a child who would never learn to feed themselves. And rather than help them, doctors of the time would simply encourage parents to lock them up in facilities and walk away. And we've we've talked about that before when we did Richard Trent and Chase. We talked about like deinstitutionalization and stuff. Right. Willowbrook State School was finished construction in 1942. However, instead of opening for its original purpose, it was converted into a United States Army hospital and named Halloran General Hospital after the late Colonel Paul Stacy Halloran. After World War II, proposals were introduced to turn the site over to the Veterans Administration, but in October of 1947, the New York State Department of Mental Hygiene opened its facility there originally as planned and kept the original name, Willowbrook State School. Willowbrook was originally designed to house 4,000 patients, so it's a pretty impressive structure, and um, half of the buildings at this point have been demolished, but the main building is now um, Staten Island College like a college building so you can still go in it oh weird why I, I know i feel like studying there i would just feel haunted all the time yeah but i guess they did i mean like why why get rid of it if they could use it i, I guess yeah i'm sure i mean 
it's probably built just like a college would be. Yeah, a lot of little rooms and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's idyllic. Like, the setting is really beautiful, and it's surrounded by woods, obviously, and very and it was very fenced in. You know what? It found its purpose. It did. So, okay. Did a lot of terrible shit first, but now we're good. And if any of you know anything about the history of mental health care in this country, you will understand that that 4,000 patients figure was merely a suggestion that would soon be steamrolled. Ooh, and that's so many, too. Oh, yeah, but that always happened with these places, though. Um, it's not designed like a... Oh, what's the famous... I know Dorothea Dix started them, but, like, the famous model for... Um, old asylums where it's like, you know, the main building and then a courtyard and like outbuildings mm-hmm. stuff. It's not designed exactly like that. It's not the same as like Penhurst. Okay. But it is like big. It's a lot. And there are several buildings. Um and honestly it's just a shock that this place wasn't built earlier in history to house tuberculosis patients because that is the narrative most of these stories take. And like I mentioned Penhurst before, we'll do that as a whole podcast, probably closer to Halloween. <laughs> that's a, like a very scary Halloween type story. And you can visit Penhurst, so. We don't have to, but we're gonna. No. <laughs> when we get to real Halloween and we scare each other again, maybe I'll scare you with Penhurst. Okay. The pa- the patrons can go and I'll just I'm not drive. gonna I'll drop them off. Little known fact. I do not like haunted attractions. Oh good. Here's why. I don't like to be startled. Right. Every other part of them I love. I love the sets. I love the actors. I love the effort that goes into it. But I don't like to be startled. And if you're going to touch me, I can't handle that. I can't handle that part either. Because Eastern State, they can grab you now. Nope. Yeah, I was like, not please. Probably not now. <laughs> no, not today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe that'll take that off the table for us for a while. Yeah. This Halloween, I'm going to go to all the haunted attractions that are open because nobody can get near me. <laughs> and seeing all those goblins with, like, face masks on is will be delightful. I'm so safe, you guys. This is great. <laughs> thanks, COVID. Hashtag thanks, COVID. There's your hashtag for the week. <laughs> Willowbrook's numbers quickly exceeded its maximum capacity, and by 1960, it was home to approximately 6,000 patients. Oof. And this isn't counting staff or updating the amount of staff employed to care for this many patients. But Holly, that's too many. I know. We'll find out it does not go well. The ratio of staff to patients was alarming, to put it mildly. In an attempt to hide this fact, Willowbrook routinely hired, quote, activities counselors, which were basically just locals, a lot of them were teenagers, with absolutely no qualifications to work with patients with intellectual disabilities. They were only supposed to be hired to, like, oversee art projects and sports on the lawn, but were quickly left in charge of large groups of patients and all of their basic needs. This sounds like a situation I would have gotten myself into. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Could have been. One woman, this is really sad, so sadness warning, one woman who was hired for this kind of job. It's like she was hired to just instruct activities. She's brought in the first day and given like a ring of keys. And she was like, you got to take care of people. And she unlocked a couple doors and she got to one at the end of the hallway and she opened it. And there was just like 40 toddlers in there unsupervised. And some of them were like, what's your name? What are you doing? And some of them were just like sitting and crying or like nobody was. They were totally unsupervised and locked behind a closed door. How terrifying. That's what this place was. I know. It's sad. 
and awful. And obviously she didn't know what to do. She said like to this day it still haunts her. She's like, why were those children locked in a room? I don't, I don't understand. Probably because they were understaffed and they just exactly. forgot about them. And nor does she know what happened to them. Yeah. So this went exactly as you might think it did with a bunch of unqualified teens put in place of caregivers. Sexual and physical abuse and humiliation became widespread and commonplace between both the staff and the patients and just the patients among themselves, with less than half of the patients being um, toilet trained and and not for lack of trying, like they couldn't, that wasn't a thing that they could do, Uh, and overrun, the whole place is overrun, the callous staff could not enforce proper waste disposal and quickly did away with clothing for a lot of the patients, choosing instead to let them sit in their own filth in dark rooms completely naked. Sometimes they put them in metal cribs or large high chairs. And I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about adults. They housed hydrotherapy rooms and electric shock treatments, which were both common. And not in the way electroconvulsive therapy is utilized today. No, no. And there's a lot of controversial opinions on that. But that's another podcast for another time. I have a lot of thoughts. No. I mean the barbaric, old-timey, one-flew-over-the-cuckoo's-nest type scenario that we can all conjure up in our heads with little difficulty. Food was limited to pulverized, half-rancid gruel, and patients were left to hope that they could get enough of it in their systems to survive, as some of them were not really able to feed themselves. With little supervision, patients were left to wander the rooms and grounds of the facility openly for hours at a time. So the thought of one of them just running into the woods was not only possible, it was probable. During the summer, they just were given recreation like outside and they just released them onto the lawn. And with 6,000 patients and next to no staff in a place that was supposed to house 4,000 patients, how could you possibly tell if one went missing? You couldn't. In addition to all this terribleness, another sinister activity was silently taking place in the filthy halls of Willowbrook State School. Throughout the first decade of its operation, outbreaks of hepatitis, primarily hepatitis A, were common at the school. This led to controversial medical studies being carried out there between the late 1950s and the 70s by medical researchers Saul Krugman from New York University and Robert W. McCullum from Yale, who monitored subjects to gauge the effects of gamma globulin in combating hepatitis. It would be bad enough to study patients who were rampantly contracting hepatitis without prioritizing treating them and protecting future patients from infection, but this went further than that. Paul A. Offit describes Krugman's studies as follows, and I quote, In an effort to control outbreaks of hepatitis, the medical staff at Willowbrook consulted Saul Krugman. Krugman was, or Krugman, K-R-U-G-M-A-N, so if I'm pronouncing it wrong, that's how you do it, found that hepatitis developed in 90% of children admitted to Willowbrook soon after their arrival. Although it was known that hepatitis was caused by a virus, it wasn't known how hepatitis was spread, whether it could be prevented, or how many types of viruses caused the disease. Krugman used the children of Willowbrook to answer those questions. One of his studies involved feeding live hepatitis virus from other, others' stool samples to 60 healthy children. Krugman watched as their skin and eyes turned yellow and their livers got bigger. He watched them vomit and refused to eat. All the children fed hepatitis virus became ill, of course. Some of them very severely. Krugman reasoned that it was justifiable to inoculate intellectually incapacitated children, they used the R word, which I will not use, at Willowbrook with hepatitis virus because most of them would get hepatitis anyway. 
but by purposefully giving the children hepatitis, Krebin increased that chance to 100%. And of course, no parents or guardians were ever made aware that their children were purposefully being fed hepatitis and then having their suffering monitored. He has still gone down in history as someone that made great contributions to the medical field. Sorry, I'm like super speech speechless it's, over here. It's tough. Um, <laughs> to to his like, I think he died in the early 90s, and to his dying day, he defended what he did. He was like, "Well, I helped lots of people with defenseless, intellectually delayed children." I don't feel like that's the way. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was this guy's name? I'm going to his house. <laughs> He's dead. Don't worry. <laughs> He's dead, but he does have, like, monuments and stuff to him because of his contributions, and I don't super agree with that. So maybe not monuments. That's an exaggeration, but probably kind. I was going to say, there's, like, a group that's taken down some monuments. Let's We can add it to the list. I know, right? I mean, like, he's given a lot of credit, but it's very controversial, and he's also used as an example of, like, faulty ethics in medicine. Okay. One of those things where it doesn't matter – that you got results, you got them extremely unethically and at the expense of children. Mm-hmm. And and I have to add that while it says, and they again, they use a word that I don't like and everybody doesn't like, while it says that these kids are intellectually disabled, some of them are not. Some of them have like cerebral palsy and stuff. So their minds are sharp. They just have disabilities that parents at the time didn't know how to deal with. Right. Yeah. So pretty freaking sad. Cruelty and neglect reign supreme in this place, and if all of this sounds familiar, well, it should. Willowbrook was very famously uncovered in a sensational news story by then-unknown journalist Geraldo Rivera, and the images from that story and documentaries made in its aftermath are burned into the public consciousness. Even if you think you haven't seen these images, you have. Think of one horror movie featuring an asylum. The American Horror Story Asylum season, when Sarah Paulson's character like go like does the expose, it is based a hundred percent on this. So, like even an overzealous seasonal haunted house, our splashy nightmares are based on a very real situation, and there are so very many images. I have a hard time looking at them. They're hard to look at. A lot of them include nudity. I don't know what I'm gonna post for this. Probably not a whole lot. You guys can Google what you want and see this firsthand. I've seen them, but I'm warning you right now because for some people, this it might be a little too much. Maybe we can put like cute little bunnies in between the photos. <laughs> that would be nice. Like, this is terrible. Here's a bunny. Yeah. That's helpful. <laughs> Leslie's going to organize our photo suite this week. <laughs> There'll be cuddly creatures in the middle of it. I got it, guys. Perfect. <laughs> Who wants to see a Wookiee? <laughs> Everybody. So the first the American public heard about the horrors of Willowbrook was from a speech made by a promising young politician. Speaking of systemic failures in mental health care, Robert Kennedy said, quote, I visited the state institu- institutions for the mentally, R word, and I think particularly at Willowbrook, we have a situation that borders on a snake pit. That sounds terrifying. Yep. Kennedy's statements, however, seemed to fall on deaf ears, and not another word was said about Willowbrook for seven years. That is until two people, as I mentioned before, print journalist Jane Curtin and an ambitious 29-year-old local news reporter, Geraldo Rivera. Also, poor Jane. I have only ever heard of Geraldo's involvement in this story, never hers. 
Jane, 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 she's great. They decided to cover this story. Now, the pair of them had been tipped off and given a key to Willowbrook by a disgruntled and soon-to-be-dismissed employee. Rivera snuck into Building 6 with a cameraman, and they acquired quick video evidence of an overpopulated and squalid facility. The video is also readily available, but it is jarring. When the local news aired it, they aired it with, like, right before they put it on, they're like, we're going to make you sick tonight, but we have to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really bad. And the video is, is so weird because they just walk right into it. They just walk in, nobody stops them, and they're just videotaping all this nonsense happening. There's really not staff hanging around too much. And there it is, an unbelievable nightmare, unchecked and in the flesh. Well, I'm sure that the staff probably wasn't getting paid well enough. They probably just didn't care. They weren't really present. You just see rooms and rooms of people, like, naked, waiting in their own filth and eating mush. Ew. It's hard. It's really bad. It's really, really, really bad. But it proves to be important later. Like, a lot of Americans with disabilities legislature was forged by this imagery. Okay. So it does, it does come to serve a purpose in the end. Scenes from inside Willowbrook were shocking, and the local news story on WABC-TV was watched by millions Viewers saw scores of mentally disabled patients huddled in corners, nervous and aimless. Middle-aged patients slept in seats. Others crouched and rocked back and forth on the floor. The stench in these rooms coming from the unclean, unattended, and disregarded patients to Rivera um, apparently resembled disease and death. So it's pretty grim. After the expose on Willowbrook shook its community, it took a further three years for the facility to actually close its doors. However, it did serve as the basis for a lot of reform in the policies regarding the treatment of the mentally disabled. In 1975, a consent judgment was signed, and it was committed to New York State to improve community placement for the now-designated, quote, Willowbrook class. The publicity generated by the case was a major contributing factor to the passage of a federal law, the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons Act of 1980. In its final years, patients of Willowbrook trickled out. However, a lot of them did not have anywhere else to go, having been signed over for the, by their families ages ago. These displaced persons were left to live on the abandoned grounds and in the woods in the surrounding areas. So while there wasn't a hook hand in sight, there were plenty of mentally disabled people wandering around in the woods. But it wasn't the patients who would prove to be a problem. It was a janitor. A man left without a job at Willowbrook when it closed, who chose to make the woods in the surrounding area and the rundown buildings his home. And around the time he lost his job, children in Staten Island began to go missing for real. Andre Rand was born Frank Russian, or Rushan, R-U-S-H-A-N, not Russian like the country, or the origin, I should say. The origins of the name Andre Rand are completely unknown. He just changed it for whatever reason. According to his younger sister in the 2009 documentary Cropsy, which I mentioned, watch it, it's great, um, neither she nor Andre were sexually or physically abused as children. They had a pretty, like, relatively normal in the beginning upbringing. When Andre was 14, though, his father died on March 27th, 1958, and his mother was institutionalized at Pilgrim Psychiatric Center in Brentwood, New York, where he and his sister would visit her often as teenagers. So he had, like, a, he knew what that was like. In the mid-60s, Andre was hired as a custodian at Willowbrook State School. During that time, it was unclear if he molested or injured any patients because the level of abuse and misconduct was so unimaginably high that finding out if he committed any of those things was like finding a needle in a haystack. 
However, we do have a record of one exceedingly strange thing that he did at the time. Sometime in the mid-60s, we don't, there's no concrete dates on this anywhere, which is so weird because it's an act that's so documented and he was arrested for, but I can't find any dates. Andre picked up a group of 11 children from the YMCA located in Staten Island in a school bus, purchased a meal for them, which is nice, I guess, without the consent of any of their parents, and took them to the Newark Liberty International Airport in New Jersey, not Newark, Delaware, Newark, New Jersey, because we pronounce it weird. None of the children were harmed in this encounter, but Rand was apprehended and served 10 months in jail for unlawful imprisonment. What a weird thing to do. Get in the bus. I'm going to buy you some food and go to the airport. (laughs) Who doesn't like the airport? (laughs) I mean, if you've never gone, it might be exciting. (laughs) Who knows? He just took them there. So weird. Andre was definitely linked to five missing children in Staten Island during the 15-year period between 1972 and 1988. Alice Pereira, ooh, I don't know, P-E-R-E-I-R-A. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm very sorry. Holly Ann Hughes, Tia Heese Jackson, T-I-A-H-E-A-S-E, Hank Gaforio, Hank was 21, though, and therefore an adult, but severely intellectually disabled, so he had, like, the presence and mental capacity of a child. And Jennifer Schweiger. In 1972, five-year-old Alice vanished after her brother had left her alone for a moment. They were playing in the lobby of a building on Staten Island, and reports also suggest that Alice may have been sighted in one of the parks. Andre Rand was the prime suspect in this case due to his previous criminal record, and Alice was never seen again. In 1981, seven-year-old Holly Ann Hughes did not return home after going to the store to get a bar of soap with her friend. Andre Rand pulled up to Holly and her friend and pulled, it's so weird to say my name so many times, and pulled Holly into his Volkswagen and then drove off with her. Her parents filed a missing persons report and and a search was issued. When questioned, several eyewitnesses reported seeing Holly with Andre Rand. She was last seen with Andre and has not been seen since. In 2004, Rand was convicted of kidnapping Holly Ann Hughes, but we'll get back around to that. In 1983, 11-year-old Tia Heese Jackson was reported missing after her mother had sent her to purchase food and she did not return. She was last seen exiting the Mariner's Harbor Motel in Staten Island on August 14th, 12 days after Andre Rand was released from prison. He was questioned, but no charges were brought. It's so a very different time when kids could just, like, walk to the store. I read these things. I'm like, I, would, I don't send my kids, like, just go get something. This is why. In 1984, Staten Island resident Hank Gaforio was reported missing after he did not return home one night. Now, again, Hank is 21, but he was described as being, quote, slow and had an IQ in the 70s, which would make him kind of a child. At the time of his disappearance, oh, it's, it says he was 22, I guess there are mixed reports. He was 21 in some and 22 in the others. Eyewitnesses reported last seeing Hank in a local diner with Andre Rand in the early morning hours, and his body has never been found. But the real break in this case came in 1987 when a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome named Jennifer Schweiger went missing. On July 9th, it was a hot afternoon, and Jennifer had become bored and restless and her mother told her to go take a walk around their neighborhood. Their neighborhood was like three blocks large. It was not a big place. But Jennifer never returned. Witnesses had spotted Jennifer walking with Andre. 
Her body was found after an exhaustive 35-day search in an underground tunnel. While combing the area around Willowbrook State School, a particular spot caught the eye of retired New York City firefighter George Kramer. He returned with the police, and the entire body was unearthed from one shallow grave. The remains were positively identified as Jennifer, and police searched the grounds for evidence and found one of Andre Rand's makeshift campsite in the proximity of Jennifer's grave. So in 1988, Andre Rand was charged with the kidnapping and first-degree murder of Jennifer Schweiger. The Staten Island jury could not reach a verdict on the murder charge, but convicted Andre of the first-degree kidnapping charge. He was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison, and he would have been eligible for parole in 2008 if it had not been for his second kidnapping conviction. As I mentioned, in 2004, Andre was again brought to trial, this time charged with the kidnapping of Holly Ann Hughes 23 years earlier. There is no statute of limitations in New York for first-degree kidnapping, which is awesome, which made this charge possible. A jury convicted Andre of the kidnapping in October of 2004, and he was sentenced to another consecutive 25 years to life in prison. He will become eligible. I know, right? So good. I love justice. He will become eligible for parole in 2037 when he will be 93 years old. If he makes it that far, thanks, COVID. <laughs> so many. There are a lot of baddie rumors about Andre Rand, but honestly, this case is such a hellscape of nightmare tropes that I'm likely to consider just about anything people throw at it. There are those who claim that Andre was involved in devil worship and sacrificed children. That's why he took them, which is nuts and totally on brand for the late 80s satanic panic that swept our great nation. But a little closer to the realm of possibilities are the rumors that Andre did not act alone and that he kidnapped the children and passed them around amongst a group of people who lived in the woods and congregated in those tunnels to explore their similar and revolting interests. Ew. I know. I don't know if we'll ever really know, but Andre Rand remains in prison to this day and Cropsy has ceased to grab the unsuspecting children of Staten Island with his hook. Ugh. <laughs> That's a tough one. Mm. And it all started with a bowl of mush. I know. <laughs> it's such mush. <laughs> Sorry. I always, I love Shirley Temple. Okay. And there's a scene in one of her movies, because she always had, like, really weird starts like origin stories in her movies. I don't know if Did you she? ever watched them. I yeah. Don't remember. There was this one where it was like, um, I'm gonna go on quite a tangent right now. Get it. It was just but... a very rough story. We talked about a lot of scary stuff. So if you love Shirley Temple as much as me. So this one was about um a young little Shirley Temple whose father was a gambling addict and he took her to a horse race and then basically gambled her away or like left her there i forget what happened he He bet her i i forget he just lost all his money and he had to like go and just left her stranded there so this i gotta go richer person like the you know it was like a husband and girlfriend or wife or something they took her in and they were feeding her some food and she was just like i don't want a bowl of mush in the morning (laughs) (laughs) oh shirley temple i know I hope she wasn't on Staten Island. Well, she might have been. A lot of those movies were over there. Well, glad she wasn't cropsied. No. (laughs) Oh, what a... I know, but like, it's so weird because that story existed before the disappearances, too. People were like, a mental patient is stealing children. Because, I mean, Willowbrook Mm -hmm. had been there for a long time. And then it just kind of like came into reality. Right. What year was that again that that would have happened around? 
Um, he started grabbing kids in 1972, and then mm-hmm. the last one was 1988. So it was over like a 15 year period. Yeah. And I feel like, um, so even with my story, the 1960s were kind of that big era for some like mentally insane. Like they, it always had to do with asylums and stuff yeah. that was becoming bigger because of how terrible they were. Yeah. And then they were either shut down or you know, becoming re-institutionalized. Yeah, Willowbrook was, um, I think it was 72 when they they aired that big expose on the news. Mm -hmm. And um, the imagery in it, while, like I said, is like horrifying, it was common for those places. Mm -hmm. That's how they were. Right. And um, I, I think that caused... That was a catalyst for a lot of, like, mm-hmm. change and reform. But it doesn't mean that it didn't happen in in spades, like, everywhere before then. Right. Well, especially if you had – so if you grew up in a town that had a um, mental institution or a um, – especially – or even a prison or anything like yeah. that. There just were always tales because if somebody got out yeah. and they were running around and, mm-hmm. you know, if they never got caught again or you're just making up stories. Oh, my God. For- I remember – in our area, like, there's a prison on 47. I don't... Yeah. Um, I, I want to say, like, four years ago, a convict escaped. Yes, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God! The helicopter. It was terrifying. And, yeah, terrifying. We locked all our doors. Yeah. I stayed up for a while, too. We just, like, listened to the news. I yeah. remember that. Mm. Oh, my God. That was bananas. I remember, I remember that happening and being like, this cannot be real life. Mm-hmm. How do they escape a prison now? But they did. Yeah. And that's right around our house, so I was nervous yeah, they'd, far. they'd um, run through our neighborhood. Yeah. Because we'd be one of those streets. It's right by the zoo. Yeah. So we would have been one of those streets. Ugh. Yeah. We locked everything. Well, yeah. I had a bat by my bed. I think John was at work. Oh, you meant a baseball bat. I was like, you had a bat? A whole bat. Okay. Yeah. Batman. <laughs> I love bats. Not baseball bats, because I can't do any sports, but little, like, cute little fruit bats. Yeah. They're a delight. No, I used to sleep with, like, a softball bat under my bed. I want to picture that as, like, a living bat. Yeah. I like that imagery so much better. A little baby bat. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's my dream to go to the Cincinnati Zoo and see the flying foxes. Oh, those are nice. <sighs> I love them. They're my favorite. Anybody who wants to go to a field trip to the Cincinnati <laughs> Zoo to see the flying foxes with me, let's you let me know it. when I'm allowed to go to Cincinnati. <laughs> Anyway, let's anyway. let's have Leslie's story now that I've made you all sick. <laughs> all right, everyone. Are you ready? So ready. It was 1980-something. <laughs> <laughs> Off and running. So good. <laughs> it was 1980-something, and a group of girls from Notre Dame High School in Fairfield, Connecticut, decided to drive around after a Friday night football game. Their names were Deb... Megan, Sue, Kim, and Jen. The best names ever for high school students. That is like the most 80s (laughs) set of names I've ever heard. Come on, Deb. I know. (laughs) Jen, Sue. They piled into Deb's blue Ford Granada, turned the radio up, and started to drive. Yeah. Good times. Deb turned down the music as they turned onto Velvet Street and Trumbull, also known as Dracula Drive. Oh, sweet. I want to live there. It is a long, dark road with woods on either side. The locals called it Dracula Drive for all the weird occurrences that happened on it. Cars unexpectedly breaking down, shadow figures emerging from the woods, 
lights that looked like beady little eyes staring at you from dark forest as you drove by, and ghosts appearing in the middle of the roads. The girls yelled at Deb to turn the music back up, because probably like Madonna was on. Come on, Deb. But Deb shushes them and <sighs> asks the girls if they want to go searching in the woods for monsters. No. The girls laugh and shrug her off, but Deb teases them for being too scared. It's a Friday night. What else do we have to do? The girls take a moment and decided, what's the harm? It's just an urban legend, right? The girls park the car, leaving the headlights on to light their path. Laughing with nervous energy, they started to walk down the road, hoping yet fearful of seeing the monsters who supposedly lived in the woods. After walking a couple hundred feet, they heard the car doors open and slam behind them. The engine started and the car barreled down the road towards them. Someone had stolen Deb's car. (gasps) The girls jumped into the woods to avoid the car as it charged towards them. The Granada's thieves were illuminated by the interior light. They were the size of children in disproportionately large heads and were clad in dirty clothes. Ew, you didn't tell me this was like a weird alien one. Their eyes glowed with orange light and they cackled wildly as they drove past the girls. I fucking hate them. The taillights disappeared into the distance. I'm appalled. Ew, little dirty children with big heads and eyes. Meg, Deb, and their friends had found what they were looking for. They had found the melon heads. I'm Leslie. <laughs> I'm still Holly. And we would be dead. We would be. We're <laughs> double dead this time. Look at Leslie's we writing a little opening. Have tried. Look at our girl growing up before our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so melon heads, Holly. Mm. They sound like the black-eyed children, which horrify me, and we will do that. Yeah, I was thinking about them when I was writing this. But um, So I grew up in Connecticut, and I grew up in this area where the it's like a hot spot for melon heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about them until I did like a quick like, oh, let me just see like urban legends in Connecticut. And then there was a few that popped up. One was like frog people Ew. and like a couple other things. And so these melon heads popped up and I was like, that sounds really familiar. So I clicked on it and then was vaguely remembering these stories because I remembered the roads that they were, they would have lived on. Yeah. And uh, I had really fun time talking to all of my friends being like, do you remember? And they were like, yeah, don't you remember like coming in the car with us and terrifying you? And I was like, no. Ew. I repress these memories. I don't blame you because they sound like my worst nightmare. Yeah, they are, they're gross. Um, There's a level of it where, uh, I mean, as we go into it a little bit more with some of the origins, it could be more like a, a physical issue that could have then taken a form of this urban legend. Okay. Okay. They all have like hydrocephaly giant head issues. Um, that's the word of the day in my story. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So melon heads are described as small and frail with long spindly appendages. <laughs> they have crooked, gnarly teeth and most notably have bald, bulbous heads that are out of proportion for their bodies. Much like the aliens that Holly loves, like they're like little figures with the big heads. Onion heads. Like in, yeah, like in Travis Walton's story. Oh, God, I hate them already. They're not even aliens, and I hate the fucking hill folk. I didn't even try to do an alien story for this one. And <laughs> you still did. I did. God damn it, Leslie. <laughs> 
So they live in backwood areas, usually off of dirt roads, and sustain themselves by eating small animals, stray cats, and human flesh. Ugh, of course Doing they the do. the Lord's work. Ugh. Goddamn hill people. Ugh. Velvet Street, or Dracula Drive, there are... Some people that might claim Dracula Drive is some other streets in Connecticut, okay. but it is it is Velvet Street, okay. and people can fight me on this. I, I'm not going to fight you. You're from Connecticut. Yeah. I believe you. So, again, Velvet Street is not the only road in Connecticut that passes through Melonhead Territory. <gasps> other streets like Sawmill City Road in Shelton, Zeon Hill Road in Milford, and Marginal Road in New Haven are also known to be hot spots. Ooh. It wasn't really until the 1960s that this legend of the Melonheads pops up in Connecticut. Some will claim that the legend was made up by high schoolers in the 60s trying to scare their friends at parties, but there are some origins of the Melonheads that are hard to ignore. Ugh. One origin dates back to the 1600s. Jesus. So remember I told you um, one of my, uh, well, this would be a campfire story. I brought in like some witchcraft um, like some witch happenings in Connecticut with the Phelps family. Yes, I do remember okay. that. So in the 1600s, we did have, you know, that we were founded already in, in Stratford area, and we did have some witches in the area. Love a witch. Yep. So as the story goes, a family from Shelton and Trumbull area was accused of witchcraft and wizardry by their town's <laughs> elders. <laughs> You said wizardry left last time too. I cannot say it when <laughs> I just cannot. If you go to Salem and you're like, "Is this the home of witchcraft and wizardry?" They'll be like, "Show yourself out, ma'am." <laughs> and I'll walk out with my robe, my Slytherin robe. <laughs> oh my god! They won't even let me in. They won't. Maybe you should not go with me. Just <laughs> it'll be fine. We'll be cool. Okay. <laughs> I'll wear it secretively. You wear it under your other clothes? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this family was kicked out for their witchcraft and wizardry. (laughs) The family was banished and they retreated into the woods. Many thought they would starve and die, but Mm -hmm. they didn't because they're witches. Avi. But also because they were hunting and gathering and created a life for them away from everyone else. Off the grid. Yeah. Living their life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Before they could be taxed on it. Yeah. It's a Ruby Ridge situation. We're fine. They decided to remain hidden in the woods and build a new colony. But after centuries of inbreeding and their diet of wild and wild animal f- flesh, they would mutate into what we now call melonheads. Oh, Lord. Oh, a second origin dates back to only the 1960s. That's not, that's too current. This is when most people were talking about them okay. in the 1960s and on. So um, if you look back in Connecticut, like urban legendum, you don't mm-hmm. really start hearing about these melon heads until then. God damn. So if it was, say, it, it is the 1600s era, mm-hmm. they just might not have been seen until around oh, then. So you think this is, or it is thought that this is like a race of inbred mutants that has been around for hundreds of years? Exactly. It could be that. Boy, do I hate that a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh. Or. Yeah, or. <laughs> <laughs> Fairfield County Asylum for the Criminally Insane operated from the 1860s to 1960. Oh, shit. When it mysteriously burned down. The entire staff and most of the patients died. 
However, there were 10 to 20 inmates that were unaccounted for. Oh, no. Oh, no, it's just like my story. Ah! Mm -hmm. Many believe that these missing inmates survived and escaped into the woods to make a permanent residence there. Oh, my God. It is so similar. We did not plan this. Mm -mm. So good. We never do. I know we're amazing. (laughs) I'm just really proud of us. Resorting to cannibalism to survive the harsh winters and inbreeding would cause them to develop hydrocephalus, a condition in which cerebral spinal fluid occurs within the brain. Now, so there are surgical procedures for this today. Yeah, you can drain it. Cases, but I like that I knew that without you telling me. I feel I really proud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. Well, immediately when I, like, saw the melon heads, mm-hmm. at first I was thinking of, like, the cat with, like, the watermelon, like, helmet on. But then when I saw the picture, I was just like, oh, that's, like, c- cerebral spinal fluid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so in the past, anyone who had a child or family member that was deformed in any way, uh, this would cause the family... This would cause the family shame, and they would often, like, either hide them away, or the family would hide away, or yeah. or they would just, like, just sometimes just drop them in the woods. Now, a lot of this yeah. was older. It probably wouldn't have been the 1960s, but in the 1960s, they might have just, like... Put them made... in the attic. Yeah. That's, that's, like, flowers in the attic shit. That's exactly. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's that variation, mm-hmm. where, you know, it was just the mentally insane mm-hmm. or criminally insane. Um, both... Variations will preach the same message. Melon heads want to avoid people as much as they can, but they prey upon humans who wander into their terror territory. Don't so go don't in the bo- woods. Yeah. Don't bother them. <laughs> don't go into the woods. At all this week, dude. That's the through line. Connecticut isn't the only place where the legends of melon heads live. Oh, no. They're not here, are they? No. Oh, okay. good. They aren't here. Phew. They are also common in Michigan and Ohio. Okay. Uh, upon further research, I found that the melon heads also appeared in Bavaria, Germany in the mid-19th century in Risbury, England around the 1900s. It's just like a race of hydrocephalic people wandering around eating other people and inbreeding. Mm-hmm. I hate them. <laughs> cool. <laughs> huh. So in, uh, this is a book that I found in Folklore of Herefordship. It was written by English folklorist Mary Leatherborough. Ooh, what a name. Love Love it. it. Um, This was written in 1955. So to me, this was interesting because this is before the 1960s, Mm -hmm. right? She mentioned an extended family of melonheads living on the edge of the village of Risbury, England. She claims that they had large round heads, which were thought to be the result of inbreeding. The locals called them Weeblehead. Oh, and mostly kept to themselves, avoiding avoiding the general public. I'd avoid the general public too if I was getting shade like that, or if I had a giant head. Yeah, but if people were like making fun of it, yeah, that's true. I'd be like, yeah, fuck you guys, <laughs> fuck all y'all. <Yeah>. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> doctors. If we we know we have at least one doctor in our listenership, if hydrocephaly is caused by inbreeding. Please tell us about it. I am now. I don't now want to go research the mm-hmm. shit out of that. I know. I kept. I, and I apologize. I actually no, meant no, no. to look that up because I. I know other reasons or trauma. A lot of times it's trauma yeah, that yeah. happens, but it does happen to small babies, and then it can happen later in life. And I've only seen animals. Well, I mean, I know. I know for a fact that it happens in humans too, because there's like X-rays of the mutter. Yeah. Um, or the muta, however you want <laughs> to pronounce it. Um, but like they they are 
born that way sometimes. Like, um, I've seen calf mm-hmm. taxidermy and uh, guys, I like a lot of weird shit. I've yeah. seen a lot of shit, <laughs> but there are like taxidermied specimens of mm-hmm. baby animals that have it. So yeah. I guess it does happen. It does. Yeah, absolutely. But again, they have ways to fix it now. Mm-hmm. So another family living in Kanzenbrug in Bavaria, Germany, in the 1800s were not so friendly, and they had several murders <laughs> that were laid at their door. Although nothing was proven, they were just as reclusive as those in Risbury, but tended to adopt a more aggressive attitude to those who came near them. <sighs> so these stories are all the same no matter where in the world they are coming from. Uh, melon heads have been blamed for doing damage to property, stealing and abducting children and teens. For food or worse, um, yeah. There's there's a lot of thoughts. Worse. So, um, I was like trying to find some comments of people like in some forums to see mm-hmm. like their stories, and I remember one of them had to do with uh, like remember ladies they kill the guys and keep the girls for themselves. No, nope. like things like that. Oh no um, no no no! Thank you. <laughs> Uh, other other thoughts too were that there were um, in some of the hospitals there had been some experiments going on as well with children. Okay, and so it started with these small children. Hepatitis, that, <gasps> right? I know <laughs> they migrated down. Same, yeah. But um, so some of it's like with experiments. So if they were abducting other kids mm-hmm. or teenagers, they were taking them to these facilities oh, and shoot. doing more experiments with them. Um, but there's just, like, so many woods. I don't know. It's crazy. Yikes. So, if you ever find yourself in Connecticut on Dracula Drive, watch out for the rogue blue Ford Granada. There were reports of people spotting this car driving recklessly late at night. Full of melon heads. I know. Full of melon heads. Just <laughs> how'd, they all, around. how'd they all fit in there with their melon so heads? This whole thing cracked me up because I do remember this blue car. Like, do you? I, I remember being told about that. Cause oh, my some gosh. Because I, I kind of remember some of it was almost like a ghost story. Mm-hmm. Like on that road, you might see a car coming or something. Oh, good. Okay. So I didn't realize. I mean, not good, but like that's yeah, cool. But I think that some of my memory got mishmashed, okay. you know. Um. So it was funny to read this story, but then just to have this image in my head of, like, these little kids with the big... I, I know, like, to me, it they definitely had a disorder because yeah. that's where this urban legend came from. So it's a little sad. Yeah. But if it is just these melon heads, I don't know, just these crazy little kids or aliens. I mean, they could be baby aliens. They are not just baby... driving in Get the out car. of here. They are like, not... Baby aliens. Check Get out the- this old technology. Get the fuck out of here. No. <laughs> I, I guess that's how I picture them more, like little baby aliens. Oh, I, I hate all of it. With like little cackling sounds like, ah! <laughs> Why? Don't add to it. Oh, I hate them. Oh, guys. I can talk about like the grisliest murders in the world. I could be like, and then he put be body parts in a blender and I'm fine. But you're like, little kids with big heads and aliens. I'm like, fuck that. I'm done. I can't. <laughs> Everybody has something. I don't know. Oh. I guess I just, and I do picture them like in a blue, for some reason I picture them in like a blue jumpsuit. Fuck that. You said in they were in dirty gray. clothes. I picture I them know. like hill people and like well, tattered Yeah, they flannels. definitely are. Well, I guess like a Dobby character. That makes them... A lot more palatable. There you go. They're like Dobby, and they just want to be loved. And they then they know. eat people. They're Stop just it. feral. They're feral children is really what I they are. I know you want to do feral children, too. Yeah, we can do that. We will. 
Oh, okay. Oh, that was a good one. Thanks. Melon head. That was my hometown. So I was talking to my friends about this, and my girlfriend Megan, who's one of my bridesmaids. Meg. She Meg. Meg Deb. It's fine. <laughs> she was telling me that when she was younger, her school bus would take a route down one of one of the Dracula Road. Yeah. Ugh. And she said that there was a girl that lived on that street. And so I was like, was that a melon head? <laughs> she was like, how no. Big, but... How big was her head? Was yeah, it extra big? Did you have something like draining the fluid from her skull? Did you look? How'd you know? Did she always wear a hood? <laughs> How many hats did you have? A lot? Yeah. I feel yeah. like it was a lot. Turtlenecks? I don't know. But I just thought it was so funny because she told me, she's like, no, I never like went looking for them or anything like that. But on my school bus. Oh my God. Like they knew, that's how she knew about it. Like I thought that was the funniest thing. Like that poor girl getting picked up. Like everyone was like, she lives on Melon Head Road. Oh my God. <laughs> that's so funny I'm gonna post like a thousand pictures of like animals this week. sorry guys that's what I have here's some like cropsy shit but also yeah. here's some really weird animals with giant heads and then the other thing I learned too this week was that talking to my friends they were trying to they were like, oh, no, we did go searching. We went down these roads, and we didn't really see too much, but they're, you know, one of them was telling me that they did get out of the car, and they were left there. My friend Eric said he got, like, left by his friends, and he was like, there was definitely something out there, and it was terrifying. And it was before him. I had a phone. I was so scared. Oh, no, I was I like, they it. sound terrible. But he was like, I feel like you went on some of these drives with us. And I was like, I would have never, if we ever did anything where we had to get out of the car. I don't think you would have agreed to that. I wouldn't, I <laughs> no, I wouldn't have done anything where we had to get out of the car. But if we were just driving down a road, I would have gotten sucked into it probably. So I was trying to remember these. But then through talking to several of my friends in the same group, I learned that a lot of them got left at places. Like, And I was like, I oh, don't know that shit. I was ever... Part really? Of that. And I'm and I'm remembering them and I was like I was like, oh my god, my friends are terrible. Do we talk? <laughs> just, see ya. See ya. Let's just leave yeah. Amber at like this uh, you know Fucking hospital. Amber, you like, poor thing. I know. <laughs> how how many melon heads did you see? Can you yeah, right? describe don't describe them. Just kidding. I hate them. They all mentioned the same thing of like going to see this like abandoned hospital oh and my just god. leaving my friend Amber there. Amber! She was I, like, I don't think you were there. I don't know. I don't remember. I was I, too scared. I want to hope you weren't there and that if you were, you'd be like, save Amber. <laughs> I probably have been like sitting in the car listening to Madonna and been like, where's Amber? <laughs> Guys, what? All right. It's fine. <laughs> She's cool, right? She's got this. She loves melon heads. They're hanging out. She's got a razor phone. She's fine. <laughs> oh my God. I loved my razor Oh my! I never had one, Took but I was so jealous of her. Blurry photos. Yeah. <laughs> it was so sleek, and uh-huh. mine was like cranberry colored. Uh, that was very cool. I think she had a silver one. I was so jelly. Uh, well, I don't blame you. <laughs> oh no, my razor was silver, and then I had the little one that flipped up instead of flipped yep. open, like a a riser. Or I yeah yeah. That one was cranberry colored. Okay. I'm a very cool person. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I had like that first like. Nika, Ni- Nokia, Nokia, the fuck out of here. <laughs> and then, and then I don't know when. I think whenever I started to make my own money, I got an Apple. <laughs> yeah, I remember having my little like flip up phone when I 
I was already mm. like living on my own mm. and working at Elaine's. So I'm a I'm I'm very old. Yeah. I'll say this every episode. <laughs> I'm so old. <laughs> also, I always like in my head, you're like ten years younger than I am. I know, and that's not true. I know it's not. <laughs> but I'm always I like think I'm only like five years. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm always like, you're so young, and I'm so old. But then I'm like, oh, no, wait a minute. Our age difference is not that Mm-mm. big. Like, I'm technically an old millennial. So am I. Yeah. Yeah, you're, like, I, like on that level. right on the Because my brother is, too. So I'm, like, an old millennial. So I remember I'm, like, I definitely connect with you and my brother more than mm-hmm. I do with the younger. Those crowd goddamn kids. I know. And their TikTok. Fuck, we have to learn how to use that. I'm figuring it out, guys. God damn it. Somebody. It's addictive. I just haven't used it yet. It's like addictive to watch. I but... guess I have to like get in there and look at it. I haven't yet because I'm I'm not like an early ad- adopter. I'm never like, new tech, yeah. It takes me forever to like get on board. I'm like, mm-hmm. I just like my old things. <laughs> God, we sound so old talking I about know. TikTok. <laughs> I know, but it's like how you promote yourself. So I have to like. Yeah. We have to figure it out. Teens, cool teens, cool teens. If you want to teach us how to TikTok, you uh, hit us up on no, the. I think it'll be fun just to watch us try. We're gonna struggle, <laughs> and I hope that you laugh real hard at it. Yeah. Or, or you're very scared. Maybe we can come up with like a murder dance. Each, <laughs> That's right. They dance. Fuck. <laughs> I saw a girl that like told true crime stories. I was like, oh, I could do that. This is just mm-hmm. someone with like a ridiculous background. Like, and then this is the story. Like, nix the background. Yeah. But I can do that. Yeah. I don't know. We're going to try to be cool and technological. <laughs> and we're supposed to do Instagram TV too. So we'll see how that works. Instagram TV. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can I say it older? Let me see. No, because I'd have to add a VHS in there somewhere. And I don't know how to work that out. <laughs> A Betamax. <laughs> oh, no. I'm actually too youthful for a Betamax. I don't, Are you? I don't know what that is. That's how I watched the first Star Wars. You're older than me. Done. Kapow. Kapow. <laughs> anyway, who do you want to toast to this week? Oh, that's right. It's time to toast. Oh, shit. I want to toast. There was a girl with the same name as me in my yes. story. Um. So, and wasn't she the reason that he got the no, longer sentence? Jennifer, oh. yes, she was. So I'm going to toast to Jennifer Schweiger and Holly Ann Hughes because they're the reason compounded that he will be put away until he is 93 years old or dead thanks COVID. So cool. And I want to toast to all of those children stuck in that room. Ooh. <laughs> Terrible. What about the people in your story? Oh, in my story. Um, Deb. Meg. Yeah, Deb. Deb had the car. Deb's poor, her poor car is gone. Her father was probably pissed. Yeah, so it's Deb for sure, right? Yeah. You know, they were like, tell us the real story, Deb. She was like, Melonhead <laughs> took my car. <laughs> if I were Deb's parents, I would be like, fuck you. You don't get another car. Go to your room. Also, I have another Harry Potter reference here. Oh. Because that car disappeared into the woods. Oh. Just like Ron's. Family in car. the Whomping Willow. The Whomping Willow, and it just, like, lived in the woods the rest of its life. <laughs> That's where that car is That's now. That's where it is. It lives in the woods with magic. Yeah. yeah. With witchcraft and wizardry. And wizardry. Yes. So cheers to them. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We have another we one. Have, we yeah. have a new patron this week. We do. Our new patron is a little mysterious. Mm-hmm. Her name is Lisa W. Yes. We love you. 
a lot, Lisa W. Yeah, I hear she's a great, she's a master at chess. Is she? I know nothing about her, so way to make it up. up. (laughs) (laughs) If, If you are Lisa W., find us on our Facebook page or the Facebook group, which is where we talk the most. Um, or anywhere really, and mm-hmm. and like say hi because we love hi. you and we are so thankful for your support. Um, and I'm sure you're like really good looking <laughs> yeah. and talented and smart, and probably embarrass us if we do know you. <laughs> we probably do know you, which is fine. But also, like, if we don't cool. tell tell us, we, if we don't, you. oh my god, we made it. We did, guys. We made it. <laughs> Also, we're at 10 patrons. That's so. right, 10 patrons. So here's the deal. I am pumped to the max about planning a field trip. But I also understand that we live in COVID times right now. So if you live in New Jersey, we could do, and you probably all do, except for Lisa. Lisa. I don't know. Where do you live? <laughs> um, we could do... Like an outdoorsy or like a public place with masks type field trip. Uh, the mutter's not open yet. I am renewing my membership, so I'll get all the... Mm-hmm. That's going to happen eventually. We are going to do a trip there eventually. Um, but I'll, I'll, we'll we'll talk about something and we'll figure out where we can go that it will be safe and still fun mm-hmm. in like over the summer. And I'm so jazzed. And I also would love to plan like a just like a meetup. A pool day. <laughs> day. <laughs> If Diane wants everyone at her house, she'd be down. <laughs> Would she? Yeah. Or we could meet at like an outdoor bar or a restaurant. Yeah, maybe to- I shouldn't take people to my home. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that they're going to want that to happen. Um, but we'll, we'll figure out something because I want to like hang out with you guys. And um, so it'll be patrons at invitation. Okay. I'm going to say both just in case we're like have anybody that has supported us in ways that are not financial but are equally as crucial that we would like to invite along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we have a lot of cool things coming up, as I mentioned last week. Um, So get excited and leave us reviews. Please, God, leave us reviews. We're shriveling. We're dying. I just – they feel like getting a letter in the mail. They do. That's true. That excited feeling where you're like, oh, somebody remembered I'm alive. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they also, like – in terms of moving this podcast forward, which we are super excited to do, they are very, very important. They seem so, like, stupid and easy and nothing, but they, like, mean the entire world to us. Yes. So, please leave us a review. Be a patron if you like. You can find us on Patreon, where we would be dead. Um, and so, oh, oh clink. Oh, clink to all of our – oh, we can't reach, we can't can reach we? can't again. No. Just give it on your arm. There you go like a gavel i've passed my judgment and if we were alone in the woods and didn't listen to all the warnings we We would would be be dead thank you for listening to the we would be dead podcast hit subscribe now to never miss an episode rate and review our show on itunes Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more.